Dear friends in Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our psalm, um, and should you choose to have it open in your pew Bibles or in um, your worship folders where we just sang Psalm 67, that would be fine. But the first two verses I'd like to say again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And again, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, can you imagine the Christian church without songs? Can you imagine gathering here around God's word and not singing? I'm not saying everyone's strength is sinning, but listen to this concept. There was a pastor who was thinking outside the box and suggesting to me a a new model. He says, the post-pandemic church doesn't want to gather together and and sing songs. Post-pandemic church wants to have Zoom meetings every week and maybe gather once a month. And I listened politely. He had done a lot of reading, apparently. He had done a lot of cutting-edge type, uh, type of looking at the issue. And, and uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's just me, but I don't buy it. I don't buy it because there are some songs where I can just feel the joy, the faith, the confidence, and the hope pouring out of your mouths up here in the chancel of the church. It's beautiful, it's, it's something else. It's, it's a glorious experience. It's possible something has changed in the culture, uh, maybe even in the church. Life isn't a musical, I get that. People don't randomly burst into songs like they do in, uh, like singing in the rain or somewhere over the rainbow. Maybe you do. It kind of happens around the Bodhi household from, from time to time. We, we burst into songs, we make them up, and we harmonize together, but we realize that that's maybe different than a lot of normal homes. And um, we recently watched, Ellie and I recently watched a pretty good, as, as we understand it, a pretty faithful um, following of Easy Company during World War II, the paratroopers who landed in, in the... Um, TV series that's like 20 years old now already, Band of Brothers, and something struck me while we watched through that again. They would burst into song from time to time as soldiers. Maybe there is something that we've lost in the culture there that, that we don't often do, or maybe that was just, maybe that was just a, a fictional take on what it might have been like. But we still have a lot of music. We still hear music on the radio, and more often than not, Probably not on your radio, probably in your podcast, probably through your phone somehow. Maybe we've just personalized it by sticking music in our earbuds and kept it to ourselves. Yet when there's something to sing about, I think we sing. There are still musicals that, that land on the stage like, and make a big hit, like um, Hamilton or Wicked. And there's still flash mobs that occur randomly. Sometimes you see videos online of 
um, lobby pianists in the hotel. This happens. Sometimes music is a nice thing to have. When you have something to sing about, you sing. And this is notoriously true. This is historically true. This is expressly true in the Christian church. And it's not just putting together syllables and phrases in the Christian church either. Every time we sing around here, every time we open our mouths in joy and thanksgiving, or depending on the mood, maybe with a little sobriety and seriousness, um, maybe in appeals to God in sorrow and frustration, still hoping in the Lord, we have something to say. We teach so much in our singing. Have you ever thought about it that way? Our hymns have so much to teach us. And over and over again, what you find out is that not only are we praising God, but we're actually reminding ourselves of very precious truths, truths that save the word of God that moves our hearts. It's not just the bars and meters, the notes and the movement on the staff lines. It's, it's facts, it's truths. It goes back to God's word and it has something to say. And what's great about this is it's not just a, exclusive to the Christian church in the New Testament. It's true way back when. In fact, I don't know if I can think of a better place in the Bible that teaches this. It says for maybe Colossians 3, 16 and 17. But other than that, Psalm 67 is, is it, where we hear about the teaching praise of the Christian church. God's way of salvation leads nations to praise. And then the best praise proclaims God's way of salvation. It feeds off of itself. So let's first look at that. God's way of salvation leads nations to praise. The last thing we often hear as we leave this place is the last thing that the Hebrews often heard when, when they left worship 3,500 years ago. You know what I'm talking about? The Aaronic blessing. What then? What comes next after the Aaronic blessing where the same name that God placed on his people in the Old Testament is the same name that we hear placed on us at the end of our services? Sounds like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. But what then? What's really cool about Psalm 67 is it starts with a portion of that blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Okay, what's next? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Did you hear what comes after, immediately after the blessing in God's house? It's taking those blessings out into the world to all nations and relaying those truths, finding times to praise God again. The very next verse, the refrain, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. And if you've grown up in this church, that's probably something you have memorized from singing the refrain to Psalm 67 from time to time. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And it might be kind of funny to see the word people in the plural, plural, peoples, but the truth is that's expressed to us in this word of Gentiles 
is that it's more than one nation. It's more than one group of people. It's groups of people. And so it says, let the peoples praise you, O God. No matter how you divide them up. You could divide them up in height and weight. You could divide them up between male and female. You could divide them up in caste or class. You could divide them up according to skin pigment. But no matter what, the peoples praise this God. Because people in a place like this, God's people, take that blessing out into the world and share it, regardless of who you are. If you know a Christian, you should be hearing a kind of teaching praise. And when you do that, when you as a part of all nations hears that kind of teaching praise, the power is there for you to believe as well. As many of our Gentile ancestors did, hearing the gospel for the first time from some singing Christians. Now, why, why are all those peoples represented in the church of God? We heard it in verse four, which is really the high point of the psalm. Um, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, that's speaking to God, you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. People from all over, according to Psalm 67, rejoice in the kind of equity and guidance that comes from our God. And I think even better than the word equity would be uprightness, a moral ethic. It's a righteousness that avails before God. That's what the people treasure and rejoice. Because you know what happens out here in the world? Sorry, out there in the world? When people commit a crime, they know that they're punishable. And nation upon nation could heap up all of those crimes, all of those sins, all those violations, and present them before God. And if they have a conscience, they know that's coming one day or at some point. But what our God does, and, and this is true when we heard in that second verse, salvation goes into all the world. What our God does is, even though there's these heaps of sins, he doesn't bring the law down upon those who present the sins before him. Instead, he brings his only begotten son down, places him on a cross, and allows his enemies to cut him to death, to suffocate him on that, on that cross. He spills those heaps of national sins on his shoulders and says, now it's all taken away. All of those heaps of sins have been punished on Jesus Christ. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the culmination of all those Old Testament sacrifices, the culmination of all those messianic prophecies in Jesus Christ. And when that message goes out into all the nations, many people turn a blind eye and a deaf ear, but many others hear it and rejoice because they like this kind of justification, making, making it free for nothing, righteousness that comes directly from God. They don't have to work so hard. They don't have to put the yard sign out on their front lawn saying what they believe in so that the world sees it, seeking after righteousness. They don't have to go after this or that particular charity in order to gain favor with God. They don't have to do all things perfect Otherwise, maybe God won't bless me, etc., etc. No, we love because he first loved us. 
And when that message of salvation goes out into all the world, that way of God, what happens? People believe and can't help, can't help but repeat those promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and sing them and share them. We see it in our synod conventions. This month, our synod joyfully declared fellowship with something in uh, Uganda called the Obadiah Lutheran Synod. Been working on this for a few years. I think we first made contact in 2017. There's 28, I believe, different congregations in Uganda that we just declared fellowship with, nine preaching stations and a mission field. And, and we rejoice in those blessings. If you haven't looked at our Wells Synod Convention sort of review, go check it out on um, wells.net. There's some great blessings to rejoice in. There was, there's also a newly formulated church in Latin America. I won't try to say it. It's a Spanish. It's a few Spanish words. But, um, but another synod that we affirmed fellowship with, this happens among us. And you know what? It comes even closer to home. We have children from all nations, immigrant families, in our preschool, hearing this word, singing God's praises, teaching each other, learning from these songs. Day in and day out, every weekday it happens here in this building. Many nations represented. And that's a reason for us to praise God once again. Proclaim his salvation. And that's the best praise of God, to proclaim his salvation, a teaching kind of praise. You see this in, the, in, in that verse three, the way of God, the way of salvation, as it is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true religion. Way, the word way in Hebrew and Greek often means someone's religion. And it's true today. I just, I recently read that in India, if you wanna ask what a person's religion is, this is how you ask it. You say, what is your way? What is your way? And, and then people will understand what you're asking. I haven't tried it yet, but I plan on it pretty soon. Um, and the prayer here is that God may give his dear church his grace and blessing. We witness about Jesus Christ. And when we do, we, we witness the way of salvation. And then a Christian may be faithful and proclaim God's word, just doing what we do automatically. Just singing God's praises and telling what we know. And it yields something, it produces something incredibly rich, incredibly beneficial. Verses six and seven, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now the thing is, um, we hear a word like uh, land and then yielding harvest, and we might think about offerings. So these, all these people are going to bring offerings to God. And that's true, but context actually suggests something different. That the land in this instance are, are the people in the land. And the harvest is the harvest of souls. What God wants is a great harvest of souls for himself in heaven. We heard about this in the parable of the weeds a few weeks ago, the wheat and weeds. Um, the angel said, okay, should we pull up all the weeds now? Um, and the owner of the land says, no, we'll wait until harvest time, and then we'll pull them all up and sort them out at that point. And Jesus says, that's judgment day. On judgment day, the weed will grow with the weeds for now, but on judgment day, everything, everything is rectified, 
Everything is done according to his will. And the judgment, once again, is on the basis of Jesus Christ. And what a blessed heavenly harvest it will be. Bodies and souls rejoined in believing songs in heaven where faith falls away. Instead, it's face-to-face love. And God fully answers that prayer that his grace, that his face would shine upon us and give us his peace. So, then why wouldn't we pack our hymns chock full with God's words? And why wouldn't we have little references in our hymns and our hymnals, which I think is true in our new hymnals in the bottom of the page, you can now see where, where some of those phrases come from in the Bible. And why wouldn't we sing it out loud? We have so much to sing about. The world comes at us with, with gentle poems, with, with nice things, with sentiment, with um, mindless repetition, with psychobabble, and they have something to say, maybe a little bit, but they don't they barely touch on the truth. What we have is the richness of God's word in our hymnals. So much to counteract all of that other stuff. Men and women have inscribed in our songs the very thoughts of God straight out of his word. Sometimes the best way to teach Bible passages is to do it in song because the music flows with those words right into our heart and out of our mouths. I mean, imagine if you didn't know what to do when you were scared of the dark. But instead, you know, I can sing, I can sing right out loud, I'm alone, there's no one here to hear me, but God, abide with me. Fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. You know that you don't have to wonder singing something that has to do with prayer. You can sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And if you think about it, some of these words are just gonna come back to you. Maybe worth a little review in the hymnal, but you can take these with you. Imagine not knowing what to do when you're terrified by death. You know, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Heaven is my home. Repeat those truths back to yourself. You can sing beautiful songs that express your faith where you can share someone. What if someone approaches you and says, how do you know what comes next? Or what do you really believe? You can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Or um, let the peoples praise you. So what's stopping the peoples? Isn't that funny how that's phrased? Let the people praise you, O God. What's stopping them? Who's not letting peoples do this? Well, here may be the problem. Maybe the Christian church isn't singing enough. Maybe we're not singing loudly enough. When we have an opportunity to sing God's praises, to deliver these words that we've memorized and and we've repeated in these walls so often, how can we not go out and share them? And for that, we repent. Oh God, Forgive us so that we can stand before you in right consciousness when we haven't witnessed. And then with that very same forgiveness that Jesus has sealed for us on the cross and opened to us into life at the empty tomb, we go off and we sing. It's the very same thing that has forgiven us that we sing to all the world. What rich blessings there are. 
Martin Luther adapted the text of Psalm 67 and wrote it into a hymn. And believe it or not, this is the very first Protestant mission hymn. It's at least known that way. It was called Es wolle Gott uns gnädig sein. That was in 1523. It translates to, May God bestow on us his grace. It's in your hymnal. Hymn 906. It's a challenging one. Maybe, maybe for Mission Festival or something coming up, we can have a, a small group sing it. Um, but it's a good one, worth looking up. And history tells us that pretty soon after Martin Luther wrote that hymn and people started singing it, it was outlawed in certain parts of Germany. And I love this story. In the region of Wolfenbüttel, one German Catholic prince wanted to sing that song, May God Bestow on Us His Grace. And his priest challenged him. And the prince said to the priest, wait a minute, what song don't you want us to sing? And the priest said, my Lord, it's called, May God Bestow on Us His Grace. And the prince nearly laughed and said, what, then should the, should the devil be gracious to us? Who is going to be gracious to us if not God? We'll continue to sing the hymn. Yet the church has owned this one, Psalm 67. It owned it right off the pages of Martin Luther's um, rendition of it. And it's owned it ever since the Hebrews sang it in the Old Testament, instantly. Now imagine, what if we tried to have church without songs? Kind of like that prince. It'd almost be like having church without God. But instead, when we sing, we connect the two into our hearts and out into the world. Something to carry when you enter the mission field after you hear today's ironic blessing. And in that effort, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. For God's salvation has gone out into all the world. In the name of Jesus, amen.